A father likes to give good things to his children, and God likes to give good things to us, the best thing being Jesus Christ. So let's get ready to dive into the word of God, the the revelation of Jesus Christ this morning, and let's pray that as a result of us looking at God's word together, that each of us will have a better understanding of who Christ is and how we can imitate him in the places where God has put us. So let's pray in unison uh, as we get ready to open up God's word. Heavenly Father, we call you our Father with true sincerity. You created us. You know the hairs on our head. You have all the pages of our life written out. Thank you for being a good father, Lord. The true example of what it means to be a good father. Thank you for giving us that example. Lord, may by your spirit and by your grace... May you make us children who honor you and who love you as our Heavenly Father, who proclaim you to others, who worship you with every ounce of our being in every area of our life. And Lord, I do pray for the fathers both in this room and who perhaps are not in this room, that you comfort them, that you encourage them, but that you also convict them of our collective need to know you as men, as our Heavenly Father, and to imitate you in our households with our children and even with our grandchildren, Lord. We love you, Lord, and we pray all of this in the name of your Son, the firstborn over all creation, Jesus Christ. In his name we pray. Amen. By the time each and every one of us leaves this morning, every single one of us sitting in one of these chairs here today, Each of us, we need to leave having dealt with two questions. You sitting in the chair, you need to make sure that this morning you consider these two things. Number one, who is Christ? And number two, what is your relation to him? You might think that you already know the answer, And perhaps you need to reassess. Or maybe you already know the answer and you need to be reminded. But all of us here today, we cannot leave this church building until we have considered in our heart who we believe that Jesus is and what our relation is to him. That's going to be what Paul talks about in Colossians chapter 2 verses 9 and 10. So please turn with me to Colossians chapter 2, verses 9 and 10. Paul is building off of the thesis statement that we've talked about over and over again these past few weeks that we find in verse 6 of Colossians chapter 2, where he commands the Christians in Colossae to walk in Christ. But what we see happening for the rest of chapter 2 is we see that chapter 2 is really going to be divided into two halves. And I believe we have a slide on the screen for you guys to look at. That as Paul commands the Colossians to walk in Christ, the first half of chapter 2 is going to describe how Christ himself is sufficient and worthy 
and capable of equipping you to actually walk in a manner worthy of him. And the second half of the chapter is going to talk about the insufficiency of everything else. So just like last Sunday, we looked at the warning, the second commandment that Paul gives in his letter to watch out for man-made philosophy and empty deceit that is not according to Christ. All of this is because he wants us to consider and to evaluate in our heart who we believe Christ is and what our relationship is to him. So that's why for these next few verses that we're going to be looking at over the upcoming weeks, as Paul is describing to the Colossians how they are to walk in Christ and how they are able to watch out for empty deceit around them, he's going to focus first on how good Jesus is. And he's going to talk about the person of Jesus and our relationship to him as a means of walking in him. And then in the second half of the chapter, compared to the sufficiency of Christ, he's going to look at the insufficiency of all other things. Rules, regulations, ideologies, putting trust in yourself. That's going to be in the second half of chapter 2. But in the first half of chapter 2, he's going to talk again and again about Christ. In fact, you see in the verses, starting in verses 9 and 10, but even going into verse 11 and 12 and 13. Look for that phrase, in him. Do you see it? In him in verse 9. In him in verse 10. Verse 11 begins with those words again, in him. Verse 12, it says with him, but in the Greek it's actually in him. You see it again, with him in verse 12. Uh, the end of verse 13, it says being made alive together with him. Paul is trying to build this argument that's going to be a little mini-series, so to speak, within this letter. That if Christians truly want to walk in a manner that is worthy of the Lord, if they want to walk in Christ just as they have received Christ, the way to do that is by answering the two questions that I opened our sermon with which is knowing exactly who Jesus is and knowing exactly what your relationship is to him. Because if you want to walk in Jesus, but you have the wrong definition of Jesus, you're not walking in him. Or if you want to walk in Jesus, but you don't have the right relationship with him, then you are not walking in Jesus. So that's going to be what Paul breaks down this morning in verses 9 and 10 where he says this. You can read along silently, silently with me as I read verses 9 and 10. Paul says, for, or because, based on his warning in verse 8, he says, for in him the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily. Verse 10, and you have been filled in him who is the head of all rule and authority. You'll notice that in those two verses, Paul addresses the two questions that I opened up with. He defines exactly who Jesus is and exactly the kind of relationship that Christians have with him as a result of their salvation. The best way to summarize this would be our big idea for this morning is that we must understand from this passage 
the point that Paul is making, which is that Christ's identity impacts Christians' identity. Who you are as a Christian is determined on how you define Christ. What you believe about the identity of Christ will impact your relationship to him, and it will impact your identity as a Christian. Because we all know that many people call themselves Christian, yet their understanding of who Christ is is very different from the identity that is given in Scripture. So that's going to be the point of verses 9 and 10, that Christ's identity impacts Christians' identity. We must understand who Christ is and what our relationship is to him. And that's going to bring us to the first point, which brings us to verse 9. The first point is this, that God is completely indwelled in Christ. That if you want to identify who Christ is, The way to identify who Christ is is by saying that he is God. But what does it mean to say that Christ is God? Again, just as many people will call themselves Christians, many people will also say that Christ is in some way related to God. But that doesn't mean that they are actually expressing what the Bible says about who Jesus is and his relationship to God. In verse 9, this is how it describes Jesus. Paul says that in him, the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily. In no other verse in the Bible is Jesus described exactly in this way. Paul starts out by saying that who Jesus is is something that exists within his body, identifying that Jesus himself was actually a real person a real historical character, not just an idea, not just a name, just not, a, not just a personification of a movement, like some people will say, but he was actually a real physical person, but that he was more than that. That Jesus, being a real physical person, was someone in whom the whole fullness or the full weight, or the complete totality, not just of God, but the way Paul describes it, is of God's deity dwells in Christ physically. There's so much to unpack about this, describing who Jesus is. Really, the summary is that Jesus is 100% man, while at the same time, 100% God. Not 50-50, or not one lopped onto the other, both completely 100% at the same time. This is the only verse in the New Testament where the word deity is used. What it's describing is that Jesus wasn't just given certain attributes of God. It's not as if Jesus was God in the sense that he shared some of the same qualities as God. But when Paul uses the word deity, what he's referring to is that very essence of God that specifically makes him God. For example, we know that God is a God of love, but we have parents who also are parents of love. 
We have spouses who love us. We have other people who can, in a very small way, can share in that attribute of which God is the author of. We know that God is a God of wisdom. In the same way, we can find wisdom in this world. We can find uh, people who are wise and have that attribute of godly wisdom. But simply sharing in those attributes doesn't make anyone God. In the same way, Jesus is not just God in the sense that he was a great model of godliness. Instead, what Paul is saying is that the very thing that makes God God, what makes him creator and what makes us created, not just being a spirit because there's other spirits that God created, the very essence of what it means for God to be God, no one else shares that. Jesus completely has it. It also means that Jesus at no point in his life was just a normal guy who then happened to kind of be poured onto with deity. It says that no, the whole, uh, the, the whole fullness of God's deity was indwelling in him. And not just that it was indwelling in him as if it was on his spirit, but it says that it was dwelling in him bodily. Jesus was always God. He always existed, even before he had a body. When it says that he uh, was born of a virgin, when it says that he was begotten by God, it doesn't mean that Jesus was created, but what it means is that the very deity of God took on flesh. So he was completely God, yet then body was added onto him. And the reason why Paul is emphasizing this so heavily is because of what he's going to say in verse 10. Because if we are going to take on the name of Christ, if we are going to find our identity in Christ, if we're going to claim to have a relationship with Christ, then it matters completely who Christ is. Many religions who call themselves Christian are not Christian because they don't believe this verse about Jesus. They believe that Jesus was simply a good teacher who personified certain things that are true of God. Or they'll say that, well, no, he was also uh, just a man, but then he became possessed, like someone could be demon-possessed. He maybe at his baptism became possessed by God. C.S. Lewis addresses these kinds of false beliefs about Christ with, a, with an analogy that he calls liar, lunatic, or lord. He says that Jesus, based on what he taught about himself in Scripture— gives us no option to simply consider him to be a nice man or a good teacher or even a powerful prophet. He claimed to be God. He claimed for God to be his father. Therefore, Jesus was either a flat-out liar, which makes him not a good teacher, or he was crazy, he was a lunatic, or he's Lord. Do you actually believe in a Jesus who is the full deity of God? Or do you just look at Jesus as a sidekick to God? Do you really consider Jesus as the personification, the physical uh, embodiment of the same God who made the Milky Way? who made the volcanoes, who made every animal, every incredible and scary thing 
that we see in this universe. God, the creator of all of it, who gives life and who takes it away, do you see Christ as that kind of God? Oftentimes, people try to segregate God, and they'll say, well, I'm not a big fan of God the Father, but I'm a big fan of God the Son. I'm not, I don't really love God, but I love Jesus, because, well, God, he's a punisher. He, he's someone who judges. He, he, he wants to hurt people. He wants to uh, cause harm to people, but Jesus, he's nice, and he says, love your neighbor. And he says that his yoke is easy. You don't have that option of dividing Jesus from God. That the same Jesus who died for you is the same Jesus who will stand before and judge you based on your sin. We don't have the option of looking at Jesus as simply a nice man or a cute little mascot of being a good little boy or a good little girl. More than just a felt to slap onto the felt board in Sunday school. He's the one who can give you life, who did give you life, and who will also take it away. There's an immense amount of weight that we see in how Paul is describing Jesus. And you cannot walk in Christ. You cannot be a truly valid Christian unless you properly understand Jesus as being 100% God while also being 100% man. Again, Paul is making this emphasis so strongly because of our second point. Because if we are going to identify ourselves with Christ, if we're going to walk with Christ and have a relationship with Christ, it depends completely on how big of a God Christ actually is. Which brings us to our second point, that even though God is completely indwelled in Christ, what we're going to find in verse 10 is that Christians are incompletely associated with Christ. And we have to walk very carefully through the theology of what's going on in this verse. And I worded this point very carefully because we don't want to confuse it. Verse 10, Paul says this, Based on who Christ is, the full deity dwelling bodily in him, he says, and you, talking to the Colossians, but also through the Holy Spirit talking to us, Graham Emanuel, and you have been filled in him. I'm reading from the ESV. Who is the head of all rule and authority. If you're reading from the NASB or maybe the King James Version, your version in verse 10 will say something along the lines of, you have been made complete in him. I believe this is a better way of understanding what Paul wrote. The confusing thing here is that it may be tempting for us to read this verse and say that we have been filled in him, meaning in some way that we have become Christ. Or that in some way, um, a common thing you'll hear is that Jesus was just a normal man who lived a really good life and he ascended to the status of godness or deity. And if you do the same, if you follow Jesus, if you imitate Jesus, then you can also uh, be like him and ascend to this deity. That is not what Paul is describing here. Christ was God who became man. God completely abided in Christ. But Paul also says in verse 10 that just as God abided in Christ, for those who have put their trust in him as their savior, Christians are now associated with Christ. 
Have you ever been in a place where you don't know the people, but they apparently know you? I would walk into stores or I would go places and they would say, oh, you're so-and-so's son. Is, is this person your dad? Oh, yeah, 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 I, I know you. Uh, your, your dad I work with or I do this thing with. He talks all about you. I know you. Well, no, they don't know me, but they know me because they know my dad. The world in the same way will know Christ based on them knowing you. And the way that you live as a Christian will show the world who Christ is from their perception for better or for worse. Because you are taking on his name and you are associated with him. This is what Paul means when he uses the words in him. He says that you have been filled in him. The better way of understanding this is what Paul is saying is he's saying you are now in him, this having been fulfilled. Or you are in Christ, Christ himself having accomplished this for you. It's a tricky way that, that Paul is describing this. But the emphasis is that if you are a Christian, you are now, the kind of relationship that you have with Christ is a relationship that Paul describes as being in him. In fact, you'll see Paul use those words in him all throughout the New Testament. You'll see it in Galatians, you'll see it in Romans, and you'll see it more times than any other letter than in the letter to the Colossians. Colossians is, also fa is often uh, famously known as the book about Jesus. In theology, when we study Christology, the letter to the Colossians is often considered the great letter on Christology. Uh, chapter 1, verses 15 to 20, is one of the most famous passages on who Christ is, the firstborn over all creation. Uh, again and again, Paul is talking about who Jesus is. It's no coincidence that Colossians is also the letter in which more times than any other letter, Paul uses the words in him to describe Christians. Again and again, Paul says that Christians are in Christ. They're in Christ. They've been circumcised in Christ. They've been made alive in Christ. He uses that phrase over and over again. No wonder he takes extra time to define who Christ is. Because he wants Christians to know that they are associated with him. That they're in him. That, 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 that they're in some way sharing in what he has accomplished. Therefore, Paul has to define exactly who Jesus is. This idea of being associated with someone by saying that you are in someone uh, is something that is used often in the New Testament, not just to describe Jesus. For example, in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 2, Paul talks about uh, how the Jewish people, they were in Moses. Do we have that verse up there? Perfect. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 2. He says that all were baptized in Moses or into Moses in the cloud and in the sea. The point is not that people were baptized in the person of Moses. That would be physically impossible. They were baptized by walking through the Red Sea. That's the imagery that Paul's putting here. But the point is that he's saying that you were associated with Moses. Moses was your leader. You, you followed Moses as the prophet that God put before you. You were associated with him. That's just one example. Another example would be Galatians chapter 3, verse 8. 
If you want to read a good letter that talks about this topic, Galatians is one of the best letters talking about what it means to be in Christ. We see again uh, here, uh, Paul uses this language to describe Jewish people as being in, uh, in Abraham. In the scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham, saying, In you shall all the nations be blessed. What he was referring to was the descendant of Abraham, Jesus, that by being associated with Abraham, that being in him, not all people were in Abraham. Again, that would be impossible. But by using these words, in him, in Moses, in Abraham, it was a phrase used to say who you were connected with, who you were related to. That whatever happened to this person is going to be what happens to you. If God's going to bring Moses through the Red Sea, then that means all the people who are in Moses are going to go through the Red Sea. If God is going to bless Abraham, then that means all the people who are associated with Abraham are also going to be blessed. In the same way... Jesus is the full deity of God. He has all power. The end of verse 10 says that he is the head of all rule and authority. And guess what? You get to be associated with him. You get to share in some, not all, but some of the things that are true of Jesus. By being in Christ, this doesn't mean that you become Christ. It doesn't mean that you become God. It doesn't mean that you get to experience deity. That's why Paul said what he said in verse 9. But it does say that because Jesus uh, is related to God, uh, because he is fully indwelled by God, because he is the head of all rule and authority, that if you are in him, you get to share some of the benefits that Jesus himself gets to experience. By being associated in Christ, here are some of the things that we share in. We share in his righteousness. That song that we sang, I Need You, what a great uh, musical example of that truth. My one defense, my righteousness, oh Lord, how I need you. That's coming from scripture. We are in Christ, meaning when God looks at Christ's righteousness, for those who have trusted Christ as our Lord and Savior, he sees that as our righteousness. Jesus' righteousness gets to be associated with us. The next thing that we share as being in Christ, the next thing that we are associated with with him, is not just his righteousness, but also his death. Paul says in Philippians chapter 3, verse 10, that he wants to know Christ and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of sharing in his suffering, being made like him in his death. By being in Christ, when he died a sinner's death on the cross, that gets to be our death. And guess what? We're all sinners, and the wage that we all have to pay for our sin is death, one way or the other. If you put your trust in Jesus Christ as your Savior, his death on the cross gets to be your death. You get to be associated with that death. Another thing that we share in Christ by being in him or by being associated with him is not just his death, but also his resurrection. Uh, Jesus' bodily resurrection is called the first fruits of the bodily resurrection that all Christians will experience in the new heaven and the new earth. But not just that bodily resurrection someday, your spiritual resurrection today. 
that just as God had the power to raise Jesus from the dead, you who are dead in your sin, God can raise to new life that lives for him and obeys him and worships him and loves him. You can't do that just by trying harder. You can't do that just by feeling guilty after one Sunday sermon and trying a little bit more throughout the week. You can only do it by God raising new life in you. And if you don't believe he can do it, just look to Jesus. God did it in Jesus by raising him on the third day. He can give you new resurrected life as well. But these are only partial associations. That's why Jesus is called the firstborn in Colossians chapter 1, verse 15. Because he is the one who is given a name above every other name. We don't get that name. We get to be associated with that name, but he is different from us. Just like a firstborn who inherits a kingdom is different from its little brothers and sisters, we get to associate with Jesus and share in some of his benefits, but not all of them. He is greater. He is better. He is above all of us, not just because he was nicer or more ethical, but because all of God and all of the deity dwells in him. It's why Jesus could say to his disciples, if you have seen me, you have seen the Father. Therefore, as we leave this morning, you need to look in your heart and you need to ask yourself, do you actually identify Jesus the way that the Bible identifies Jesus? Do you actually see him as the fullness of God with all weight, all deity, all authority, or do you just see him as a nice man, a nice teacher, a good prophet? And in the same way, do you understand that if you are a Christian, that you are associated with Christ by being in Christ, that you share his righteousness before God is judged. You share in his death. You share in his resurrection. And someday you will share in inheriting the new heaven and the new earth that we get to enjoy forever in his kingdom. Do you understand that you share in that? When you don't, what happens is you become a legalist. Because if you don't believe that you share in Christ's righteousness, you try to produce your own righteousness. When you don't believe that you share in Christ's death, you start feeling guilty and you punish yourself like a monk or a nun for all the times that you fail and you fall short. Understanding that your identity as a Christian is one in which you are in Christ changes the way that you live for Christ. And it is an example of what it means to walk by faith. Walking by faith is constantly reminding yourself of your identity and the way that you are associated with Christ and reminding yourself of who Christ is. Each and every one of us, we inherited a name from our earthly father, whether it was good or bad. Today, you have an opportunity to inherit the name that is above all names from your heavenly father through Jesus Christ. Pray with me. Heavenly Father, again, we call you Heavenly Father not without understanding the weight of that. We were once your enemies. Because of our sin, we were once distant from you. But because by faith and by your grace, you choose to associate us with your Son, Jesus Christ, we as adopted children get to call you Father. Lord, may you give us a better appreciation and understanding for what it means for you to be our Father and for Christ to be the full embodiment of you as the firstborn 
with whom we get to also benefit by being associated with him. Thank you for becoming man on our behalf, for living righteously for us, for dying for us, and for being raised again on the third day. You are more than just a liar or a lunatic. You are Lord. And it's in the name of your son, Jesus Christ, that we pray. Amen. Hey, have a great rest of your Sunday. Go in peace.